And now I'll introduce our guest. It's hard to imagine having responsibility for rebuilding Ontario. I mean, literally, the roads, the schools, the transit systems, and then add energy to it. Not just the kind you get from exercise or from a healthy diet either. But imagine being the person who has to make sure that the massive power infrastructure is ready and able to meet the growing demands of Ontario's homes and industries. And be able to predict the future so the system keeps up with the rebuilding and new developments needed too. Now, to do all that with the, greatest, with the greenest power and the most forward-looking, environmentally friendly technology on the continent, which you, by the way, are also in charge of developing. For Brad Duguid, Ontario's Minister of Energy Infrastructure, it's all in a day's work. Like the rest of us, he wants to see Ontario grow again. And just a few months ago, the Premier put Minister Duguid in charge of making that happen. He gave him the task of overseeing the upgrades to our roads, of expanding community centres and rinks, and modernizing the transit systems. At the same time, he is managing one of the most significant changes in Ontario's energy policy and power markets since the first station was built at Niagara Falls. Last year's Green Energy Act is a blueprint for the next generation of growth and investment in Ontario, and one that will mean far less damage to the planet that keep the lights on. It will also mean new skilled jobs in our manufacturing sector. A whole new industry could grow if projections are correct and Ontario becomes a world leader in clean energy technology. Well, if anyone can manage something of this proportion, it's Brad Dugan. He's a former Minister of Aboriginal Affairs and Deputy Government House Leader. From his start in municipal politics in Toronto, the Minister of Energy and Infrastructure has been a champion for cities and their contribution to the province's economy. He has been outspoken about livability issues and helped introduce bold new approaches to address some of our most fundamental concerns, safety, crime prevention, public works, and family facilities. Not just in cities, but right across the province. Today, this is one of his first appearances since Premier McGuinty appointed him to those two critical portfolios, infrastructure and energy, in January. Please welcome the Honourable Brad Duguid. Thank you uh, very much, John, and thank you all for being here today, this afternoon. Uh, great day here in Toronto. I see an old friend of mine here from my previous portfolio who I got to know quite well, and I want to acknowledge him now. Uh, we're not only in the great city of Toronto here, we're also in the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of New Credit, and that, that's something that my previous job, I think, uh, taught me to recognize very much, and yes, my staff are here, and I'm already off script, but don't worry about it. I see my good friend, uh, Chief uh, Norm Hardesty here from Moosecrown. I'd like him to stand up because he is another leader in our province that's making a difference up in the north of our province, and I'd like you to acknowledge his presence here today. And I think it's great to have our Aboriginal leaders uh, participating in events like this, being part of events like this, because our economic uh, development potential and theirs are now inter intermittently uh, twined together. And uh, that's something I learned in my previous portfolio, and that's something, Chief, I'm looking forward to having the ability to implement in my current responsibilities. And I want to thank my, my friends at the Carpenters Union as well. I see a number of them here today. I want to thank them for sponsoring this event and stepping up and coming forward, as always, as you always do. Uh, to make these, uh, these gatherings happen and to do all, and all, I want to thank you for all the, the good work you do, uh, both on the job and the work that you do off the job to build a stronger and a better province. So I'd like you to acknowledge my friends at the Carpenters Union here today as well. <laughs> I 
And I got to tell you, what a privilege it is for, for this kid from Scarborough to be standing before you today in this historic club. Uh, the Canadian Club has a long and respected history as a place where leaders come together to shape the visions and ideas that have made this province and this nation among the finest in the world. I'm very excited and honoured to join your illustrious list of speakers, and I'm very pleased to be addressing an audience that has been so central to Ontario's success and no doubt will be so critical to our future. After suffering through what's often now been termed as the Great Recession, Ontarians are a little anxious to know what the future holds for our province and our economy in the post-global recession world. We're a little relieved that there are signs that things are starting to improve, signs that Ontario's economy is back in a growth mode, albeit you know, a fairly modest growth mode, but nonetheless a growth mode, which is good news to all of us. But the fact is, some still cling to, cling to what I would suggest is a false hope. It will go back to where it was. We'll be fine if we do nothing. That would certainly be the easy thing to do. But I know, and I know many of you out there today, know that things have changed. Our world has changed. The price of our dollar, the fragility of world trading markets, globalization, and the inevitability of a global carbon-priced economy. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's pretty inevitable that over time that's going to happen. All of that cannot be ignored. We need to change, even though change can be hard. And it is hard. It's hard for all of us. More than ever, we need bold, courageous, and visionary leadership. During challenging times, some leaders are content to take cover in the comfort of seeking popularity by meekly leading people where they want to go. Great leaders recognize the challenges of their time and inspire people to go where they need to be. We live in challenging times. This is a crucial moment in Ontario's history. In many ways, we're at a crossroads. We cannot take recovery or future growth for granted. We cannot be complacent. We must actively plan and build a new foundation for our economy, one that will ensure Ontario can provide our children and grandchildren with as much opportunity and prosperity as this province has provided our generation. In short, we must act. John F. Kennedy once said, there are risks and costs to a program of action, but they are far less than the long-range risks and costs of comfortable inaction. Today here in Ontario, we cannot make the comfortable choice. Be nice, but we can't. We must choose to be the agents of change. We must keep forging ahead. We're in the second year of an unprecedented $32.5 billion infrastructure investment strategy that was designed to keep the economy going and Ontarians working through these challenging times. The result, as confirmed by the Conference Board of Canada, is well over 300,000 jobs saved or created. But we're not satisfied. We still have more work to do. There's still an infrastructure gap in this province, and I'm looking forward over the next 12 months to working with many of you to put together a 10-year capital infrastructure plan for Ontario to take us through to the next decade. We're currently in year four of the growth plan for the Greater Golden Horseshoe, a 25-year growth management strategy renowned around the world. It's won awards right around the world, designed to help sustain a robust economy, build strong economies, and promote a healthy environment. And we're working to implement our five-year Open Ontario plan, a plan designed to make this province more open to global trade, investment, 
ideas, and people. Part of that plan includes modernizing our tax system, the most significant tax reforms of our time. On January 1st, personal income taxes were reduced. And on July 1st, we're reducing corporate income taxes and moving ahead with the HST. These measures, together with other recent tax changes, will lower the tax burden on new business investment, increase capital investment, and create an estimated 600,000 new jobs here in the province of Ontario. But there's much more to be done. If we're to make Ontario a world-leading, competitive, and sustainable jurisdiction in the new world economy, I'm going to speak today about four game changers that are in, that were in, in the process of making Ontario a world leader as we transform our energy sector. And I'm going to ask you one thing in return from all of you here today and those listening in on, on Rogers on their televisions: this transformation may be driven by the McGuinty government, but the success of this effort will ultimately lie with each and every one of us here in this room and across the province. That's something that I'd like each and every one of us to keep in mind. You will see the Premier and I challenging all members of our generation to step up and take responsibility for the quality of air, health and economy that we pass on to the next generation. If we take up that challenge, and I know we can, our children and grandchildren will one day look back at this moment in history as game-changing. If we do not respond to this challenge, if instead we recoil at the thought of taking on this responsibility, if we simply leave it to the government to shoulder this burden, then there's no doubt in my mind we will have failed our kids. We will have missed the opportunity to build a cleaner, healthier, more prosperous, more prosperous province for them to inherit. And so what I have to say to you today is not the words of a Minister of Energy and Infrastructure that's here to lecture you or spin you. What I have to say to you today is and will make a difference in our collective future. Now that I've raised the bar in terms of expectations of what I'm about to talk about, I want to begin on a lighter note by telling you what a wonderful time it really is to be the Minister of Energy and Infrastructure in the province of Ontario. I have an opportunity to be the Minister of, of, of Energy that leads us through the greatest transformation our energy sector has seen in generations. Or I'll be relegated to the position of being the Minister of Energy that failed to inspire his generation and thus left some huge challenges for the next generation. Let me say this to those of you in this room that, that know me, I think you know failure will not be an option. In case you haven't noticed, Ontario's in the midst of a great transformation in our energy sector. Leading the transformation are four game-changing efforts. Some are well underway, others are just getting started. The first is ensuring Ontario has a reliable supply of energy today and into the foreseeable future to power our economy and our quality of life. The second, moving Ontario's energy supply from a growing reliance on cheaper, dirty coal-fired plants to clean, non-emitting sources of energy. The third, creating a culture of energy conservation in Ontario that makes all Ontarians passionate about the need to lower their energy consumption to build a cleaner, healthier future for our kids, in addition to the advantage of lowering energy bills and overall energy generation costs. The fourth, this is really important as well, establishing Ontario as a leader in clean energy with the goal of making our province a place of destination for green energy development, expertise, manufacturing, 
and the jobs, investment, and exporting opportunities that come with that. Let me begin with the first game changer, the need to have stable and reliable energy to power our economy and our quality of life. Ontarians remember, and I'm sure everybody here in this room does as well, we inherited an energy system that frankly could only be described as being in shambles. It was unreliable and suffering from years of neglect. Demand was exceeding supply. The need to upgrade and replace our, our aging infrastructure had been ignored for too long. Frankly, an energy crisis was looming. Seven years later, our plan is delivering reliable and clean energy mix with a mix of uh, emissions-free power and a commitment to conservation. This did not happen by accident, nor were we the beneficiaries of some kind of miracle technological advancement or breakthrough. This came about simply as the result of hard work, good planning, and tough decisions. In all, we've brought 8,000 megawatts of new supply online over the last six years. Just to give you an idea, that's about 20% of our current energy mix. We plan to have 10,000 megawatts online by 2011, moving our energy system from what was a state of crisis to a virtual state of stability. Let me give you an example of just how far it's come. Just last week, I was speaking to a, a former speaker here, I think this year, uh, the Honorable uh, Dwight, uh, Dwight Duncan, the Minister of Finance for the province of Ontario. And his first number of years in Cabinet uh, for the province, in our first years in office, Dwight served as our Minister of Energy. Well, Dwight was talking to me last week, and he said in the summertime, he virtually, for the first two years, could not go out of town for fear that there would be a brownout of some sort and there wouldn't be enough supply to meet the demand. Times have changed. Times have changed, and that's a good thing. Bringing stability to our energy supply capacity has required investments in a combination of modernizing, refurbishing, and building new energy infrastructure. That hasn't been easy. It's required tough decisions. It comes with a cost, a cost, cost which is ultimately paid by customers. So let's face it, there's a political challenge to that as well. Previous governments ignored the problem and left it for future governments and leaders to address. We probably could have done the same too in hopes of riding out this second term in office without an energy crisis. But that's not our Premier's way. The fact is, we had a serious challenge, and if, if it was left unaddressed, we would have placed at risk the very viability of our economy as well as the needs of our families. The result of our efforts to rebuild our, our energy generation capacity is a stable, reliable supply of energy to power our economy and our quality of life here in Ontario. The second game changer is a decision made by Premier McGuinty many years ago, a visionary decision, a courageous decision to phase out the use of coal-fired generation in this province. Seven years ago, we inherited an energy system that was not only unreliable, it relied on dirty coal-fired generation. Coal-fired generation had increased by 127% from 1995 to 2003, resulting in a 124% increase in CO2 emissions. I find the following information a little hard to swallow, but it's the result of credible studies, and I think Ontarians deserve to know this. Our reliance on CO2-emitting coal has been linked to be the cause of thousands of premature deaths, respiratory illnesses, hospitalizations, and asthma. To be even more specific, coal's been linked to be the cause of 668 premature deaths a year, 1,100 emergency room visits a year, 928 hospital visits a year. You know, 
any way you spin it, the fact is the health of Ontarians was at risk. If the impacts of coal on the health of our families was not enough, studies have been done that pegged the health and the environmental costs of, of emissions from our coal generation plants to be in the range of $4 billion a year. Now, I understand, and uh, John and I were speaking uh, earlier, that uh, the Right Honourable Michael uh, Jean, uh, Governor-General of Canada, will be here very soon, gracing this very podium. So I think it's fitting that I quote her today as well when she said the following, when the present does not recognize the wrongs of the past, the future takes its revenge. My friends, you and I simply are not going to let that happen. The good news is, seven years later, coal's on the way out in Ontario. We're very, very close to phasing it out altogether. Coal plants are running at the lowest level in 45 years. Do you recall I said that coal generation was up a, a disturbing 127% under the previous government? Well, since 2003, we've been able to reduce it by a full 70%. In fact, this year, 2010, we'll be closing down four coal units four years ahead of schedule. By 2014, coal will have been phased out of our energy mix altogether, making our plan to phase out coal the single largest climate change initiative in all of North America. Let me repeat that, because it's important. You and I and all Ontarians are engaged in and very, very close to implementing the single largest climate change plan on this continent, something I think we can all take a great deal of pride in. Many said it couldn't be done. Other jurisdictions are now following our lead. Ontarians can take pride in the fact that we may, may well be the first jurisdiction in the world to completely phase out the use of coal. We're well on the way to being world leaders. What a great contribution this is going to make to the health of our children and grandchildren. And while there still may be much to do on the climate change front, and we all know there is, this is certainly a huge contribution being made by the people of Ontario that puts us certainly into a position of global leadership. Now, the third game changer is our efforts to build a culture of conservation in Ontario. Now, I've been in this business a long time. It's, it's not hard to pass laws. It's not hard to regulate what people and businesses can and can't do. It's not hard to set standards and create programs. We've been doing that for many, many years. What's really hard is changing our culture and way of thinking, changing our behaviors. It may surprise Ontarians to learn that Canadians use, on average, 20% more electricity than average Americans. We use almost six times more than the world average. There's no question changing our ways will be required if we are to meet our conservation goals and become a global best practice jurisdiction in reducing our energy consumption. I know there were those that doubted we, we could get out of coal. And I think we're going to prove them wrong very soon. I know that there, there, that there are those that doubt whether we can change our less than frugal use of energy after so many years of taking it for granted. But I believe Ontarians can do it because we've done it before. Let me give you an example of a huge cultural shift that's taken place in our society for the very same reason the health of our kids. I'm going to ask you to participate in this a bit, and that might not be the uh, tradition of the Canadian Club, but how many people here in this room had parents, one or the other, that smoked? Just put up your hand. I just want to get an idea. It's, it's pretty much the vast majority of the room. I'm going to ask you a second question. How many remember those days when it was okay for your parents or adults to smoke in a car when you were in the back seat or to uh, light up in the house? I mean, 
The same number of hands, actually I think even more hands are going up. I'm going to ask you a third question. How many of you here today would do that today, smoke in the car with your kid in the back seat? I dare somebody to put up your hand because <laughs> you, you, you'll probably have trouble making it out of here in one piece. But think about it, in one generation, less than one generation, we totally changed the way we, uh, our lifestyle. We tro- Once our parents learned that secondhand smoke was harmful to our health, they changed their ways. As I said earlier, we know that cold fire generation is harming the health of our kids. We know that getting out of coal comes with a cost because it'll need to be replaced by, by more costly sources of energy generation. And we know that conservation is a critical part of our plan to get out of coal. If our parents can change the way they lived to protect our health, I believe that our generation can and will do the same thing for our kids. Put simply, the least expensive energy is the energy we don't use. Conservation is the most efficient way to manage energy supply challenges. If conservation initiatives are not implemented, then the additional energy required would need to come from either more of a nuclear expansion than we're already engaged in or further use of green energy, both of which we're already enhancing and utilizing, but both of which are more costly than conservation. I look forward to the day Ontarians look at conservation not as an expense, but as an important investment. Conservation provides energy consumers with the option of utilizing the conservation initiatives to lower their personal energy costs, and it ultimately lowers the costs of producing more energy generation, thus lowering the overall cost of energy to each and every Ontario business and each and every Ontario resident. I urge Ontarians to think this one through. I want Ontarians to contribute to conservation efforts. I know they, in their heart of hearts, want to reduce their energy consumption to contribute to our efforts to build that healthier and cleaner future for our kids. I know as well that Ontarians recognize that there is an upfront cost to conservation programs and incentives, but that they lead to savings in the long run. One of our more successful programs that I think shows uh, this to be true is our Home Energy Savings Program, which is helping Ontario families reduce their energy bills on average by about 23%. It reduces 377,000 tonnes of greenhouse gas emissions every year. And we've conducted 348,000 home audits and 160,000 families across this province have taken advantage of the retrofit aspect of the program. We remain determined to create that culture of conservation in Ontario. And we'll be calling on the creative juices and determination of the Ontario Power Authority, local distribution companies and all energy partners to work with us and putting in place a plan of action that will capture the imagination and attention of Ontario consumers and lead to even better conservation results in the future. We're not just saying this. We're setting some very aggressive conservation targets, and we're determined to meet them. Our goal is to save at least 6,300 megawatts by 2025. Just last week, we took a step in that direction by assigning local distribution companies with their own mandatory conservation targets. This alone will generate savings of 1,300 megawatts over the next four years. But it will take more than the efforts of our Ontario government to, uh, to make conservation a success. We need each and every Ontario family and business to embrace conservation as an opportunity to build a better future for us all. And now, as my throat starts to grow hoarse, 
where uh, I want to talk about the fourth and the final game changer. Seven years ago, we inherited, inherited an energy system and an economy, for that my, matter, was mired in old world, world thinking. Seven years later, our Green Energy Act has made Ontario a place of destination for green energy expertise, manufacturing, and development. Over three years, we'll have created over 50,000 new generation jobs. The $7 billion Samsung investment alone will create 16,000 new jobs. Included among those 16,000 jobs will be at least 1,440 manufacturing jobs and four new manufacturing operations soon to be established here in Ontario to build things like wind towers and blades, solar modules and inverters, among other products. A few weeks ago, we announced 184 new green energy projects that along with the 510 mid-sized projects announced earlier will generate $9 billion in private sector investment in our economy. It's going to create 20,000 jobs. And these solar, wind, water, biogas, and biomass projects represent over 2,400 megawatts of capacity, enough to power 600,000 homes. I mean, to put that into perspective, that's enough to power every home in the city of Toronto. Ontario now has the largest wind farm and the largest solar farm in Canada. I don't think there's any question our plan is working. Not only are we stabilizing our energy supply, not only are we shifting to cleaner sources of energy generation, we're attracting billions of dollars of investment in our economy and thousands of new green jobs for Ontarians. We're not stopping there. Barack Obama said it well when he said, the nation that leads the clean energy economy will be the nation that leads the global economy. Think about that. We take those words very seriously. Our plan is to utilize the green energy expertise and manufacturing capability we developed through the Green Energy Act to open up export opportunities south of the border and around the world. To conclude, we still have much more work to do. We know that. We still have a lot of building to do, much of it together. These projects are just getting going, but together, you and I are in a very, very privileged position. This is our turn. This is our time. This is our opportunity as a generation to build a cleaner, healthier, and more prosperous province for our kids and grandkids. Let us seize that opportunity. Thank you so much. I think there's going to be some time for questions. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Minister. He will allow for some questions. There is some time, so if anybody has an opportunity to ask the Minister a question, now so, do so. Any, uh, any willing takers to ask the Minister a question or two? I think you've pretty much wowed them, Minister. I don't, know. <laughs> don't be shy. Here we are.
Yeah, very, very uh, good question. And I'm going to go back to last week I, I was speaking at a forum and a gentleman by the name of John McDonald, who is a world-renowned uh, Canadian engineer, he's the guy who invented and developed the, the Canadarm, uh, was speaking after me. Now, I've got to tell you, when, uh, I hate to say it, John, but he's a heck of a lot smarter than I am. So I, I'm expecting uh, him to come up to the podium after I speak and tell everybody, uh, yeah, maybe we're doing some good things, but here are the things we're doing wrong. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised uh, to have uh, him come up and really almost echo the message that I've, I've been given and we've been given. Uh, he, he indicated that we are at the forefront of green and renewable energies. That's where we need to be. We have to relentlessly pursue that direction. Uh, he indicated that, uh, indeed, the best advice he can give us is to uh, maintain a stable environment for investment so that the investments can keep pouring into the country. Uh, the uh, the feed-in tariffs are, are uh, only written in stone as much as when you sign on to them for a 20-year agreement, uh, they are, we, we will fulfill that agreement, but they are reviewed from time to time in keeping with the, uh, the changes in the economy and, and the changes in the technology. And uh, we have no doubt, in fact, we anticipate and hope that the cost of renewables will at some point in the future be less than they are today. Uh, but keep in mind, this is a significant investment we're making, but it's an investment that at this point in time, we're looking at probably about 10% or so of our energy supply mix. Uh, that's around where it may end up over time. Maybe more. Ultimately, we'll have to make those decisions as we go. But we have to continue to invest in our nuclear modernization uh, we need to, we're looking at two new nuclear units as well. Uh, we need a good mix of energy uh, to, to drive our, our, our energy needs, and it's got to be a mix. Uh, it's got to be renewables, nuclear, all of these, the good news is, are non-emitting uh, sources of energy. Uh, no matter what you do with coal, uh, the technology today simply does not do enough to reduce those CO2 emissions. So we're confident we're going in the right direction. We know we're leading the world in many of this stuff. We know the result of it is creating a green economy here in this province, uh, which is creating jobs and economic development opportunities for many Ontarians and many Ontario businesses. So we're confident that we will continue to lead the world in this area. But I thank you for that question. I look forward to appearing before the engineers uh, uh, group sometime in the near future. I think I'm going to be one of your guest speakers coming up soon. Minister over there. Yes, please. Hello, Minister. Um, very inspiring speech. Sarah Diamond, President of the Ontario College of Art and Design. Um, one of the great challenges is the existing built environment and the ways that our current building stock is uh, energy inefficient. And I wonder if you can link um, a bit of this uh, um, vision around new energy sources with our existing built environment and the other part of your portfolio, which is to modernize and invest in Ontario's infrastructure. 
I, that's a great question. I don't know if there's anybody here from BOMA today, but they're an organization that's really doing a, a good job in promoting uh, energy efficiency within buildings in the, in the GTA, and I think they're looking to expand beyond the GTA. Uh, they've put together in partnership with our province a number of programs uh, that, that we're helping to fund, uh, I think through the Ontario Power Authority, I believe, is a partner with them. Uh, that's making a huge difference uh, in two things, uh, providing building managers and, and uh, people who coordinate all different kinds of buildings with the options that, that are before them to conserve and save, making the business case for conservation, and secondly, ensuring that those, uh, those stakeholders get access to the programs and incentives that the province is providing. I, uh, I know that they're making great progress. I know they're very excited. Uh, that they're growing very, very quickly. Every time I, I've already spoke to them two or three times, and each time I speak to them, I see that their, uh, their group is, is getting bigger and bigger. This is something I said earlier uh, when I spoke. Uh, this is something in particular on the conservation side uh, that the government really can't do alone. This is something that we can drive, we can inspire, but for us to be successful, each and every Ontarian is going to have to do their bit. And their bit includes you know, paying for the, some of the upfront costs to conservation programs and incentives. Ultimately, it leads to opportunities to lower your, uh, your price of, of energy, and ultimately it brings the cost of energy down for all of us. Uh, but there is some upfront cost, so that's part of it. The other part is participating in any way we can. And what's at stake here, frankly, is building a cleaner, healthier future for our kids. I can't think of greater incentive than that to get Ontarians to rally around to build that culture of conservation. We have a ways to go. We're, we're still not, we're not, a, we're by far away from being a, a, a best practice around the world. Uh, but I'm determined to make sure that we do everything we can to get there. So thank you for that question and suggest you just, you know, take a look at some of the work that BOMA's doing. There's probably a load of other things happening in that sector, but I'm really impressed with the work that they're doing in partnership with us. Minister, a lot of the uh, renewable energy opportunities that the government is looking toward uh, exist in the far north of Ontario. Can you comment on the government's plans for encouraging Aboriginal participation in those developments? Well, you have a chief here, Chief Hardesty, who's one of the leaders in that area, and I, uh, I can't say too much about what he's engaged in right now because I might be a little premature in saying that, other than to say working in partnership with First Nation leaders and Northern leaders we are unlocking some huge economic opportunities in the north uh, through the energy sector and huge opportunities uh, to increase energy supply through some of those sources of energy. Uh, there's, uh, there's much to be done. A lot of it will depend on future transmission build down the road, and we're looking at and we are investing more in building more transmission into the north, which will unlock other uh, renewable sources of energy supply. Uh, but uh, I think there's a, there's a great deal of optimism taking, taking shape in northern Ontario today as a result of, of some of the hope being brought to those communities and to First Nation communities through those energy development programs. The other thing I'll say is this. In the past, uh, it used to be okay for developers to go into the far north and uh, bring forward projects and maybe share a little bit of dollars up front with Aboriginal communities pay a little bit of money for their powwow and a few things like that, those times have changed. Uh, those have, times have absolutely changed, and First Nation communities are expecting to be partners 
expecting to be at the table when these development proposals go through. And I've got to tell you, the private sector is catching on to that and recognizing the value of having First Nation leaders sitting side by side with them as they move forward with these projects. It brings certainty to the projects. It brings mutual benefits to all parties when they move forward in that way. There are people, I'm sure, leaders here in this room that have discovered that, and the result are, are successful projects moving forward in the north. So I'm looking forward with a great deal of optimism uh, as the I think the energy sector will be one of a number of aspects of building a stronger northern economy. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. And I'd like to call on John Duffy, Vice President of the Canadian Club, to the podium. Um, thank you, John. Minister, just very briefly, I know people have got to get back. I, I think okay. it's wonderful. This is a community, as you know, and, and it's wonderful. So many of us have been to so many of these over the years to watch things go from crisis management to visioning exercises to implementation updates to actually some of these things being in the rearview mirror and getting accomplished. That's, that's what it's all about for these people who are doers, and I know they're excited to be working with you on these, on these changes. They're big changes. Um, the room is with you. I think you can tell from the reception. I think Ontarians are largely with you on this. Um, they're going to need to know that these big changes are coming with a minimum level of cost and disruption and difficulty that is on everybody's mind as we read the papers. And in 20 months, that'll sort of come to a head. But I know that if we can do that, if you can keep up with the good work in 20 years, we're going to have an economy and an environment that really shows all the hard work of you leading your whole team and all of us in this room really paying off. And then we want to have you back to gloat extensively. So thank you very much, Minister. Keep at it with all your passion and all your, uh, all your determination. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, John, and thank you again, Minister Duguid, and thanks once more to the Carpenters Union and Borealis Infrastructure for making today possible. This concludes our television programming, which has been broadcast live on Rogers TV. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continuing promotion of the Canadian Club events. Thank you all. This meeting is now adjourned. Have a good afternoon.